Hello, Acaville fans, and welcome to Tacapella. I am one half of your co-host, John Lampus. I almost said Brian, but Brian's not here this week, everyone. He is off on a trip. I can't remember where he said. I think he's at a wedding. So this is one of my last few episodes just doing it on my own, which is kind of fun. And for this week's episode, I don't have Brian to talk to about Game of Thrones with, which is which is how we kind of always start this show, even though it's not related. But we have an old guest on from, I want to say, episode 36, which is a throwback to before Brian was on and way back when I was doing this in a basement. Today, we have Matt Caruso from Acapella Psych joining us for episode 97. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm flying solo today. Yeah, I know. I haven't done an episode on my own in, oh man, I don't want to say a year, but it might actually have been a year, unless you count the ones where Brian and I have done them together without a guest. So I'm kind <laughs> of like, ooh, I have to talk the whole time, which is which is always fun, and it's always a different experience. What's weird is right now I'm doing this in my apartment because my mixer over at Acaville proper, the power outlet broke not the power outlet the power adapter broke so i'm using oh, my no. roommate's mic and i'm doing it in my kitchen instead of in like my little zone <laughs> at Acaville. so it's it's a different experience i'm just trying to get in the right headspace for it but matt so you were on the show in 2017 like early 2017 which was a really great episode that i thought just had a lot of content knowledge and a lot of stuff that anyone listening could just listen in and say "Ooh, i should go to these people for that or this is how i should approach this and i think it was one of the heaviest like knowledge dump episodes we have and those are some of my favorite Great. So since you were on the show about two years ago, for listeners who hadn't heard that episode, you should go listen to it. If you haven't, it's titled The Growing World of Acapella. Could you give us another brief overview of your acapella history, how you got in the field, and what acapella psych is? Sure. To getting into the field, I guess uh, it's more of an abnormal story. I remember it being a little abnormal. Yeah, like everybody else, you know, saying um, in high school and in college and all of that kind of stuff. I didn't really get into the world of recorded acapella mm-hmm. until after college where I, I found it and I got out of my, you know, college bubble and experiencing the, the whole big wide world that's out there and uh, the big Akaverse that's out there. I like that way of putting it, Akaverse. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually at the time a music proctor for the American Boy Choir, and I was uh, picking this up as a as a hobby. I did I did Aka Boot Camp mm-hmm. with uh, Freddie Feldman and Dave Brown. That was I think back in 2011, 2010, 2011, something like that. Bought my first microphone and interface, and after that, it would, it just kind of grew into uh, something where people wanted to pay me for for what I was doing, and, and that grew into the business. Yeah, it worked out. You know, if you if you do do what you love. You're, you never work a day in your life. What is uh, Aka Boot Camp? I've heard of it before in passing, but could you give me a quick overview on that and how that affected your trajectory into the industry? Sure. Well, for me, it was, I don't know if they do it anymore, but for me, it was really the introduction to recorded acapella, uh, how to do mm-hmm. it f- from the ground up. Very mu- very similar to what Bill and Deke do with Soup to Nuts, yeah. which I also did in 2004. 14 with Amanda, actually. Yeah, she's our editor and producer on all this, so she goes through and makes us all sound pretty. <laughs> and that's uh, well, th- thank you, Amanda. <laughs> Good thing there's no video. Right, same. <laughs> <That'd> be... <laughs> so it was very, very similar in the way that it was just learning how to mic a voice, mm-hmm. how to just from tracking up. Not we didn't really even get into much mixing or anything like that because I mean that was so foreign to me. It was just how do we put what's out there coming out of our mouths and put that onto something recorded. Mm-hmm. And that really helped because it connected. I was definitely the oldest one there even back then because everyone else was either in high school or still an undergrad. And so for 
me, it was just a reality check of this is where recorded acapella is is mm-hmm. heading and all the, all the way back in 2010 or 11, whatever that was. Because I had been to LAAF. I'd been to, it wasn't called Boss then yet, but I've been to Boss. Mm-hmm. I've been to a few others as well. I uh, hadn't made it to SoJam yet, but it was, I just had started getting into all the bokas and everything yeah. of that sort. And my first experience with recorded acapella was actually way, way, way back in uh, back in high school when I was listening to the Dartmouth Airs and the MIT uh, Logarithms, their <laughs> first, or not their first albums, but one of their first albums. And that's kind of what sparked my interest and got me to even look at Acapu Camp in the first place. And that's where I learned all the basics. And I thought they did a really good job. I still use some of their techniques. Of course, over the years, I've developed some of my own and learned some from the best out there, Dio, mm-hmm. Bill, and etc. But I definitely have uh, Freddie and Dave to thank for laying that foundation for me. Yeah, for giving you a key first step into how everything works in the industry. That's awesome. Absolutely. So acapella psych, I know what it is. I think a good chunk of our listeners know what it is, but walk us through it again. How did it get started? What's your role in it? What do you guys do? So it first started with just doing some simple tracking and editing. I did a lot of editing. One of my first gigs was actually overflow work for uh, Clear Harmonies. Oh. (laughs) And it was editing. Well, Amanda and Charlie. Yeah. It was it was back on one of their euphemisms albums and I edited a few songs for them and they really liked what I did with it. That was I think my first true quote unquote pro gig. Mm-hmm. And then that grew into uh, learning how to track a little bit better and of course that grew into getting into the mixing side and eventually establishing the LLC and starting it as as a business as a part-time business grew into a full-time gig. I had never been a, a really good arranger. I've been probably average, above average at best. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to, on my first full album tracking gig, come across a few arrangements by uh, now my chief arranger, Nicholas Wright, who is brilliant. And that's how I got connected with him. And, and since then, we've had a few other people working with us as tracking engineers, editing engineers, some clinicians, some arrangers. But Nick's kind of been my uh, my business partner mm-hmm. almost from the start and uh, still is today. And so today we're still offering uh, all production stuff uh, arrangements, whether it's uh, you know ICCA set arrangements, full concert arrangements, just single one-off arrangements, uh, coaching and uh, clinics, workshops. I've do a little bit of adjudicating for varsity vocals, mm-hmm. and you know, just like everyone else that's kind of uh, in the business, you do everything. Yeah, Brian and I, when we've been when we interviewed Amanda and Charlie, both on their own, and then just interviewing a bunch of people in the industry, we we've kind of tried to hone in on what is being an acapella professional and the more and the more we kind of try to dig into it we're like oh you have to be able to do everything because Mm -hmm. something might be more in at one point or there might be a higher demand than something else the supply and demand are constantly metamorphosizing and changing and it sounds just like I you know I'm not someone who's really in the industry I'm a teacher but the eclectic nature of it sounds like you never are bored, I'm guessing, because you have <laughs> so many different kind of, what's the metaphor? You got your fingers and a bunch of different pies or whatever. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> that. Don't well, yeah, I mean, it, and the great part about acapella is that um, you don't really come across, even if it's the same song, you don't come across the same arrangements. Yeah. They're the same singers, the same types of groups, you know, it, even if it is the same arrangement, the, the singers are all different. So yeah. you could you could record, edit, and, and mix 22 different fix use, and they're <laughs> going to be 22 different fix use. And, if, you know, it, of course, it's going <laughs> to, it's going to carry its own weight in just cliche-ness. But it is definitely one of those businesses and one of those industries where it's something fresh and something new 
new, even with the groups I've been working with for years mm -hmm. and years, seeing how they evolve and grow. And then if you don't know how to do something, you better know somebody that knows how to do it. Yeah. For example, I know at a very basic level how to manage live sound, mm -hmm. but I would never charge somebody for that at a professional level. So that's one of the reasons why I'm so close with Charlie and Amanda and work so closely with them because mm -hmm. all anyone that needs live sound, I refer them over to them because it's just not something that I have in my skill set and I don't have the equipment for it either. So, and it, you know, this community ever since I started has been so tight and so helpful. You know, there's so many groups out there. There's no reason to be hostile towards anyone else. Yeah. You're so competitive with someone else that's in the industry. That's something that I, I notice specifically in just like a microcosm of that on the Casa Facebook group mm -hmm. where people I just see from people who are just like trying to start a group in, you know, their freshman year of undergrad or longtime industry professionals like Deke, seeing the posts and seeing the collaborative nature of like pretty much, uh, you know, a huge chunk of the industry all in one space and seeing just how people go back and forth on the comments, how they offer suggestions. People are tagging other people and saying, oh, you need help with this? You should talk to this person. You should talk to this person. Mm -hmm. And those people actually get back to them. And I... <laughs> I, I, which I'm not saying other places don't do that, but seeing the tight knitness of the community, but also how open they are to, you know, educating the, the, no, the new generation and people coming up around them, I think is pretty inspiring and I think has helped the acapella community grow. And I think it's really funny that you mentioned Fix You because we just had Aaron Schumacher from Impact and Vocal Mist on uh, very recently. Hmm. He talked about there's a version of where I can't remember who he said it was, but someone took all the different acapella versions of like fix you and layered them all into one video and one track and oh, they're in I different keys that. yeah i haven't heard it either but he told us about it like literally two days ago and he was like you need to listen to it and it's very bizarre but it talks about the i think it's kind of a funny analyzing one of the staples of kind of this one corner of like this is how we express melancholy in the acapella industry you sing fix you and kind of laying it all on itself in a really entertaining way that also highlights basically how we all kind of come back to similar cultural touchstones and song form. So you talked about the different services Acapella Psych offers, and I'm on your site right now just looking at it, and all these things like make a lot of sense. Production, you just talked about live mixing, arranging, you talked about your guys' head arranger, and we'll get more to that in a bit. Coaching, totally makes sense how you would work with a group like that. Live sound, album art. The one that stuck out to me is management, and I'm mm -hmm. very interested in that because I think so much of how a group is run defines its culture, its institutional memory, and its mark on the acapella world. And I think generally people conceive of that as being spearheaded by the group's creators or the music directors or people who are like in that immediate circle. Yeah. What's it like for you and your people to get involved in such an intimate way with a group in a way that's not just like quote unquote providing a service like I will do sound for your concert, but in a way that is actively shaping their identity? Well, there's two different types of management. There's mm -hmm. professional management and there's non-professional management. And for the sake of just talking about this, we'll call it scholastic management. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. With the pro side, it, you know, you're not dealing with how to run a rehearsal. You're not dealing yeah. with, you know, it's more of true management where you're scheduling gigs or you're trying to figure out logistics or your travel planning, that kind of thing. And I actually learned that all from the, most of it from the tour manager um, when I was at Boy Choir because mm -hmm. I was pretty heavily involved with that at the time. The scholastic management is something that we do more often and that we think is, 
or I think is more productive than production for yeah. a group. Just making sure that everyone's on the same page, everyone has the same direction is so key for a scholastic group that has such a high turnover rate. Yeah. Because for me, I would always recommend, you know, there's always in the scholastic group, but you're always talking about seniority. That's the, that's the mm-hmm. word that the key word that always comes up. You know, I've been in this group for four years. And so it's my turn to be music director or I've, <laughs> you know, I've been in the group for three years and I finally have an arrangement. So let's try it. And I'm a senior now. Like those are the kind of tendencies that yeah. we try and steer scholastic groups away from. Mm-hmm. We try and give scholastic groups more of an outside look of how they will be perceived if they really want to be competitive or if they want to be at a higher level of musicianship or of, yeah. you know, some of some, we have some scholastic groups that go on a spring break tour or go on a winter break tour and, and actually go out and, and do gigs for their own fundraising and such. But there's also the scholastic groups that are just starting out and that need that direction. And they might be eight years old and the first music director was was the founding member. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, in the first eight years, there's going to be heavy turnover. You're going to have the risk of the group collapsing. You're going to have lots of trouble with recruiting because you're not going to have the best singers at first, especially in big universities where there's 11, 12, 14 mm-hmm. different groups and the talent yeah. is spread so thin. Because what you end up doing and what you end up managing in scholastic groups is you're basically managing talent. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, this person is really... Ca- it's like going to the old ICCA set problem of who's going to have the bass mic. You know, who's yeah. going to have... You know, <laughs> you know, we have four... Ba- we have a group of 22 and we have four, maybe sometimes on some songs, five basses. Who's going to hold the bass mic for this song? And who's going to... It's really just... We try and steer them more towards a, hey, if you're going to do this live for a concert, you want to give, you know, you want to give this person their rightful due because they've been putting all this work into the group for four years. They're not the best singer, but they're always on time. They contribute. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, a great member of the group there and you want to give them the solo. That's great. When it comes time to recording or doing it something for the ICCAs or something of that, then we need to start looking at who can perform it the best regardless yeah. of what part they're being pulled off of or if they're a freshman or a senior. It, and we have to start putting egos aside and say what's best for the group. And that's what we find is the hardest mm-hmm. part of scholastic management. That. Yeah, that. Yes, I, I totally, I'm just, I'm just wrapping my head around that. That makes a lot of sense in just my experiences in two different scholastic groups, one in undergrad and one in grad school and trying to navigate the expectations that students come in to an acapella group and their conception of, well, this isn't just like I'm going into a choir. This is my group. There's a greater sense of ownership that they would have over an acapella group, I think, than if they're just enrolled in their collegiate advanced choir. And Mm -hmm. the kind of policies that they come up with in their head. And and I don't think they're like, (laughs) I don't think these are necessarily immature or bad things because I've definitely, I think... Naive. They're naive. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I've definitely like followed some of those very naive policies myself. Same. And sometimes those were necessary for... I don't want to say keeping peace, but necessary for making sure everyone was satisfied. And that was more important at that, like in the first, I don't know, three months of the first group I started, it was more important for everyone to be satisfied than necessarily for everything to like be the 100% best. Like we're going to the ICCAs with this, we're recording with this, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, but you guys come in saying like, okay, that's great. But if you want to hit this certain benchmark, those have to be like, those don't necessarily operate in a functional way or as functional way as just kind of being hard 
you're better than this person. I know you guys probably don't go and say that, but like, do you have any stories or examples of maybe some conflicts that have arisen from those kind of conversations? Or has it been all pretty much smooth sailing, like where people just listen to what you say when you suggest, no, this person should do the solo or this is how you should run this. What's that kind of culture clash look? It depends on the experience of the group, Mm -hmm. right? The groups that are younger or just getting into being competitive at an event kind of level or releasing something recorded that they really want considered for voices only or sing or boca or any of that kind of stuff. Those are the groups that are the hardest to convince yeah. that they should be either organizing in a different way because most of them are preparing incorrectly too because they just don't have the experience in it. Yeah. But also their decision making of who's doing what or what roles people have are also skewed just because A, they don't know how much they don't know about it <laughs> and B, they rely on the old hierarchy of seniority. Mm-hmm. And so those are harder. One group I worked at, I think it was Catholic University in DC. It was really hard to convince them. They had two or three singers that were very good soloists and the rest of them were better than me, but not (laughs) <laughs> at a, not at a competitive yeah. kind of level. And so doing a 10 song album for them, it was very clear that some of these solos were given to people just because they were seniors. Mm-hmm. And so convincing them that, hey, let's... And the hardest part about scholastic management in, in this kind of way is trying to avoid and trying to steer them away from internal turmoil. And yeah. so convincing them that, hey, this is great. Let's have someone else record the solo as well so we can have two different takes of it and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's great at the time and then you try and influence not like you're trying to manipulate but you're, no, you're trying but this, to that's a, yeah you're trying to steer them in a way of if this is the outcome you want then this is the direction you need to take if this is the outcome you want you know if this is a yearbook album it's just we want something recorded yeah. that's better than normal that has Becky's on this track because she's been in, in the group for four, four years and she's really good but Anna sounds way better than I, I like to record them both mm-hmm. that's a smart way to do it that and the way sense. that I track is I always do this we do a scratch solo at first with the MIDI and the click track and then Mm -hmm. just so we can always find where we are and you know if we're going let's go back to measure 32 through 36 and you know and like where is that in the song again so at least we have a lead Mm -hmm. and then for the final one after all the other parts are recorded um, we kind of do a quick rough quantization of the percussion and then we have the soloists come in and do their final runs like their actual Mm -hmm. runs Um, so we'll have sometimes you know we'll have you know like going back to just those names I threw out there arbitrarily. Yeah. We'll have Becky do her normal thing and then we'll say, hey, Anna, can you go in and do a couple times as well? Or we'll have Anna come in, make it publicly known that she's going to come in, but have her come in at a different time so it's not like a straight competition kind of mm-hmm. Then saying in in post-production after we've left a couple weeks later when we're giving those, you know, the initial mixes out, it's like, hey, so this is what we came across with this track. Do you want this one or this one? Which sounds better and what are we going for? And that's then to kind of set that up, I like to listen to all of the when i first get to a location i like to have the whole group there and i mm. like them to quickly just do run through their set their album yeah that makes sense so that i can hear what you know so because also you know with a midi you can only get kind of part of how they're going to interpret it mm-hmm. and then uh you kind of set them up and then you as a group you have that discussion of you know what are we going for what's our goal and so it can be easily decided right then and there hey 
this person isn't so great on the solo, but they deserve to sing it. So maybe we should leave that for like the concert when their family's going to mm-hmm. be there. When it, you know, and this on the album, since we want to try and make a run at something, one of the compilations, one of the annual compilations, maybe we want to have this other person's, you know, so kind of setting it up just as uh, so the group is involved as much as possible it's more of their decision or at least it's perceived as more yeah. of their decision than someone coming in from the outside that doesn't really know the group especially if they're a new group and first time you're working with them uh, saying hey you should do this instead and just being told to do yeah. something you don't want to come different. in yeah I think that makes a lot of sense and that shows a sensitivity to the situation while also trying to direct them towards the product they're chasing they just don't know the proper way to yeah. pursue it I'm curious how did stuff work out with that group from Catholic University? Did they take you and say, yep, that's totally fine. We'll do what you say. Or was there or did you kind of have to maneuver around that by saying you should do it at the concert? You should do it on the track. It was a mix. It was mm-hmm. a mix. There are some, you know, and if, of course, you know, you have different personalities. And so there, it was a mix between, yeah, sure, I'll step down. I understand that. And that's cool with me. And there's a and then other people saying, I really want this. And so it wasn't their first album either. It was just the first time that I was working with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was their second album, but they've, they've gone on to do some pretty great stuff. And I think they've most recently worked with Charlie. Oh, cool. But this, I think this was also back eight years ago, mm-hmm. something like that, seven, eight years ago. So um, it's been a while. The other side of this coin is is being able to work with a group for years and years. I've uh, I've been working with a group from Marquette, the uh, all-male group there, the Naturals, mm-hmm. since uh, before they started competing uh, in ICCAs and putting out stuff uh, recorded. With them, I know them well enough and I've been around them long enough that, you know, if there's something that's on my mind, I know I can just say it without yeah. a filter. yeah. Man, that's that's really fascinating. I don't think people necessarily think of like other organizations coming in and th- the notion of scholastic management, I think, is really fascinating for both professionals in the industry, but also for scholastic groups, whether or not they are seeking professional management to like reflect on their own practice through a different lens. It's like, okay, well, what is it that we want and how is it going to get there? I know with my groups, um, whenever it came to solos, we would vote and I would, for the sake of just building that group's culture. I didn't want to have like one person have all the solos. And I was lucky in that everyone was pretty much at the same skill level. So if Brandon wanted to do the solo on this one song, but Chris wanted also auditioned for that, well, they're like, but Chris already had another solo. It was like, okay, well, it's not like Brandon is 10 times better than Chris. Everyone's pretty much at the same level. So it, it was fine to kind of use those sort of quote unquote naive practices to establish a healthy culture and give everyone their moment in the spotlight. But because yeah. I've been at other shows with Scholastic groups where like clearly there's only like two or three soloists they trust and for the show I was kind of like even if someone wasn't necessarily maybe as good I did want to hear someone new because when it's like the same person doing the solo over and over in a community performance it just comes across Mm -hmm. as a little restrained and a little less dynamic than it could be Mm -hmm. but when you're on an album like those are not considerations you should be making as you've kind of laid it out it should be what's best is best and I think oscillating between those two kind of a ways of viewing Mm -hmm. the recording experience is something that groups should try and be open to and kind of examine. I know I look back on sometimes on solo decisions I've made in groups I've directed, like, was that the best decision? And generally I come to, yeah, it's, it's, there wasn't really a clear, like an, oh man, I really should have done this versus that. But I think if groups can be a little bit more self-critical and self-reflective that 
they will find new avenues that might help them reach these goals that you're already helping them reach a bit faster and a bit clearer. Yeah. And, you know, scholastic management is is pretty hard in that sense, just because it's the same kind of mindset of, well, let's get past the cost because mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of groups that can afford to hire an outside source for any kind of advice, let alone arrangements and yeah. such. But it's the same kind of thing when you have a group that's been pretty successful and arranging with from within, all of a sudden you approach them with pay this much for a professional arrangement and they go, why? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. There's two different ways of steering the mindset with the scholastic groups when it comes to making those decisions. And one is, are we being casual or are we being competitive? Mm-hmm. And as long as the group is on the same page of, are we casual in this decision or are we competitive in this decision? It makes it a whole lot easier. And that's something Brian and I come back to very often in terms of whenever we examine conflict within groups or struggles on how to define something. If like a group hasn't had that conversation about where are we going, how are we going to get there? How do we know when we get we've gotten there? Then there's always going to be those push and pulls. Whereas if they sit down and say, I remember my group Mountain Horns, the uh, first year, this is my group in grad school at Colorado State, and they're still going, sat down with each member individually, and we all agreed that we just wanted to become a presence on campus. That was like the first goal. It wasn't that we wanted to record an album. It wasn't that we wanted to compete. So Mm -hmm. making those decisions about how solos should be assigned or how many performances we should do or how we should interact with other organizations were pretty clear. But when you have people who want different things from the same organization, it's going to be pulled in different directions and potentially not be satisfying for everybody. And this is, you know, this isn't anything new. I think a lot of people know this, but I think it can be really easy to brush aside those conversations and just be excited of like, oh, I'm in a group and we're doing this stuff, but where is the group Mm -hmm. headed and how are you going to get there is just a much more critical uh, conversation to have with both yourself and everyone in it to ensure success, I think. Yeah. And even just having kind of like when you go in a workshop or or clinic a group, you could say the same exact thing the music director has been saying for three months because it's someone from the outside saying it, you know. I just had that with my my choir. (laughs) They went to doing Somewhere Over the Rainbow just in unison and they're too slidey on it and everything and then the clinician comes in and i've been telling them for months and then the clinician comes in like you know you should you guys should try sliding less and they all just kind of look at me like oh wow that's such a novel idea and i was like (laughs) um we're gonna take a quick break we're just wrapping up this first segment here with matt caruso of acapella psych today here on tacapella and we are going to be right back All around the world, there are amazing acapella concerts going on all the time. You can't be to all of them, but that's what we're here for. So catch Friday Night Live every Friday at 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West, where we bring you live concerts from all around the world. You can be there in spirit, even if you couldn't make it in person. And you can catch them again on rebroadcast Sunday at 11.15 a.m. East, 8.15 a.m. West, and 12 hours later... Be there. And welcome back to Tacapella. That's probably the most straightforward way we've had someone. We've had so many weird voices lately. People singing it, people doing it, and like their sexy radio voices. I appreciate. Oh, just would you like, like me to do it in a sexy radio voice? No, I. You know what? I think last time we did it, it was kind of. We both were kind of like, all right. I mean, it was one of just one of our friends <laughs> messing around. But you learn a lot about people's personalities from how, especially if they when they, once they've been on the show multiple mm-hmm. times, they're like, all right, I'm going to say it in this way. I think I had the one I always come back to. I that might still be my favorite is when we had four members of the rochester yellow jackets on and they just did like a 
welcome, 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 welcome. And they, they sung it to t- and it was, awesome. it was pretty cute. It was, it was great. So, uh, everyone, if you're just joining us, it's just me today. No, Brian, uh, your host, John Lampus today with Matt Caruso from Acapella Psych, I guess from way back near the beginning of Tacapella. And it's really fun to have him back on to kind of examine some of the stuff we talked about basically like two and a half years ago and also where the industry has gone and some of the new services that Acapella Psych offers, but also like the different changes in our own lives and how those have affected our acapella careers. So Matt, you told me off air that you have started directing a church group, a church choir. Tell me about that and how that has affected your acapella career and how you kind of go back and forth between these two spheres. First off, how'd you, how'd you fall into that position? It was actually my wife's family. It's their church that mm-hmm. they've been attending since my grandmother, my late grandmother-in-law moved up here to Portland from San Francisco. And that was decades and decades ago. Um, and uh, the uh, church needed a music director. I sang very briefly in the choir for the previous music director. He ended up taking a job in Chicago, and they needed someone to fill in. And I volunteered to fill in, and that turned into applying for the, the full-time gig. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of surprising to me, um, just because I had no previous experience with my own choir. You know, this is mm-hmm. this is the first choir that I've had. I'm not just stepping in as a clinician or, or doing a workshop, you know, once, twice a year. Or just, you know, you, you meet me once at, at a festival, I spend 50 minutes with you, and then we part ways. Mm-hmm. But the first time I've actually had a, a choir of my own having to manage, you know, all the rehearsal times and everything at a, at a I, I'll say professional level, they're all volunteer singers. But the last time I had to do anything like this was in undergrad, and it was, you know, everyone's pretty close and... Yeah. You know, it's a way different kind of managing personnel. Absolutely. I've also, since we last talked, I've also taken on a church uh, choir director job at my own church that I grew up in, which has been super fun, super rad. Uh, I have to, after this, I'm going to go look over the music for tomorrow, (laughs) but uh, we're recording this on a Saturday right now. But so I, I think the... You know, we often we talk on this show about navigating between the classical choral sphere and the contemporary acapella sphere and generally how those conversations are framed are collegiate acapella versus collegiate like vocal performance or collegiate opera productions or or collegiate music education Mm -hmm. positions. And I think so often we I, I don't know, I guess it just doesn't occur to me to really to kind of look at this, not necessarily a third sphere, but this subset of the choral world in that classical choral, you know, choral music. And how is that been what have you learned from taking on you know not just a church choir but a choir for the first time and how have you taken that uh what you've learned from that into acapella psych because i think that's when you're a musician the the thing that i always hear is that like for choir directors you have like four jobs you have your school job you have your community choir job you got your church job and you probably give voice lessons on the side and how you like do all those influences the other so as someone who is a huge part of acapella psych in the in the contemporary acapella professional sphere and a church choir director how do those two spheres and skill sets interact with each other well at first there's a lot of my contemporary acapella knowledge driving how I was directing. Mm-hmm. I had a, I was very fortunate enough at Boy Choir to to meet some great people, some directors, and uh, to kind of be under the wing of Fernando Malvar Ruiz, now the mm-hmm. uh, artistic director at uh, LA Children's Chorus, and uh, Dr. Carrie Hyman. And for a very brief amount of time, Gabriel Crouch. He was a former King singer. He's now the director of choral oh, studies yeah, at Princeton. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. And so I uh, actually <laughs> met Gabriel Crouch when he was a guest clinician when I was in high school. And he remembered me because we sang a quick little barbershop tune for him, four of us. That's cute. <laughs> yeah, it was, It was. I think, 
It must it must have been nine years out. Nine, 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 yeah, because he was still a King Singer at the time. But anyway, I love the King Singer so yeah. much. So a lot of what I was doing with the church choir was driven by how I knew how to conduct and how to manage rehearsals and rehearsal load from boy choir, which is. I was only, it was very much piecing things together. Because in mm-hmm. contemporary acapella, I'm mainly working with 18 to 22 year olds. Yep. At boy choir, you're dealing with all the adults that manage everything, but all the talent is middle school boys. Yep. And then my church choir, we're talking the median age being 60, 62 years old. That sounds right. Right. So <laughs> you're, so trying to, you can't really go talent for talent because mm-hmm. the singers themselves are in different stages of their own voice and are different experience yeah. levels of just what they've been able to sing or do. What I learned from seeing the voices that are unchanged, changed voices, mature voices, and voices that have gone through their second voice change is their the ability to hear, to mm-hmm. not just like hear, but to listen doesn't change, but what comes out does. Yeah. And, and that there's all sorts of influences, and I could go into the psych part of all of that. In general, what I've found and what's influenced me going back to the acapella world from choral conducting has been making sure that the contemporary acapella, first, I was very adamant about you don't really know need to know how to sing well to sing contemporary acapella well. And that was, when I look back at it, very inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> Can be accurate. Yeah, but I'd agree with that. It doesn't help you in the long run and it doesn't help with your overall, you know, it might help with one spe- one specific type of sound that the group's trying to make. But when it comes down to it, knowing how to place a vowel or mm-hmm. knowing which vowel to sing in, in general really makes a difference. And I think that it's not just, I think it's also the shift in contemporary acapella that we're seeing now of arranging. We, we're, we're not seeing your traditional jins, joes, do's, da's, <laughs> and, and even the syllables aren't. Are, are changing, but not just yeah. the syllables, but the vowels themselves. You're seeing a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of contemporary collegiate, American collegiate pop covers with vowels, uh, with umlauts, with mm-hmm. vowels that have purposely integrated diphthongs and triphthongs into them yeah. just for that specific kind of sound and the kind of, you can actually get through recording, you can get some, some harmonics and some overtones just by singing some of these vowels. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that I don't, I'm not sure how much of it is just my realization of it or, or how much of it is the contemporary acapella world kind of shifting towards it. But I've, I've, I'm finding that the younger generation of singers are just better singers overall. I'd agree with that. I think, yeah. And I think this cross pollination helps with that a lot. I know when I first started arranging and I, and I frankly don't arrange that much, but I did it with, my one of my close friends who's been on the show Duncan Toomey his uh and his dad is the head choir director at a, a local at Pacific University in Forest Grove mm-hmm. so his so he's grown up with a classical choral education he's a choir director too so when we started arranging and talking about vowels and talking about like these different ways we could do things his understanding of like well if we look at this IPA and like, you know, hmm. talking about how that frames the consonant and whatnot. And like, mm-hmm. well, it's, we're really going for this sound. It was just a higher, it was a deeper content knowledge than I was expecting. And I kind of knew this stuff too, but I kind of assumed like, well, there's five vowels in acapella, right? And those are the ones <laughs> you use. And I think it's really neat that we're at the point where 
I don't know. It's it's how I feel about like growing a middle school choir program right now. Like I'm working on very basic stuff with my first year, first crop of kids right now. But in like five years, that's going to be the baseline mm-hmm. for the people who come in and kind of seeing that. Uh, I agree with what you're saying about the acapella community and, and not only better singers, but just a deeper understanding of things that maybe we thought were only kind of like quarantined off for classical groups. Like I would not have imagined ever like writing and I still haven't, but like I don't think it'd be weird to write an IPA symbol in an arrangement just to know this is the mm-hmm. value you want at this part right here. And to get into that nitty gritty, I think just allows the, uh, I mean, they just get better. I think it allows the arrangements to reach a higher level of like technical proficiency and are communicated a lot clearer than just AH for awe. Mm-hmm. Is it the IPA symbol for the open O, the closed O, all these things and how you should approach this vocal lick, stuff like that. And I just think it's really cool that we're at that point where this kind of collaboration and this content knowledge is just becoming more of the baseline and i think it just will propel both genres forward more yeah i completely agree it's kind of like when yeah i guess when i was a freshman in high school a freshman math was algebra and now like freshman math is like geometry and trig Mm -hmm. it's just it's the same kind of thing where we're we're getting smarter but also we're driving in our music education we're starting to see that we are becoming better musicians at a younger age Mm-hmm. And 100%. I, and I think that has a lot to do with the shift. I think it's it feeds off each other. It's it's a circle of progression where we get the, these better musicians and then you have music directors such as yourself that decide at a younger age that you can push them to mm-hmm. learn specific, whether it's just reading dots and lines or if it's actually making that music and making musical decisions. Once they get to the cream of the crop of collegiate acapella in eight years is going to be phenomenal. Yeah, because there's all these, I, I think exactly what you're saying, I look at it all through this music education lens of, I actually, I subbed this past year before I got my current middle school job at my both at my old junior high and at my old high school oh, cool. and seeing the stuff they were doing in sixth grade choir at the jun- at my old junior high is more advanced than we were doing my senior year of high school. They are doing, they have a test on IPA. They have a test mm. on like reading bass clef. And I'm like, I'm looking at this and maybe not all these kids continue on to choir at the high school, but just, it's not just demanding more, but it is, I think the systems in place becoming more refined and people committing to them mm-hmm. because people, and I also substituted and taught elementary for a bit. The people, at the elementary level now are on board of we need to teach all the kids solfege. We need Mm. to teach the kids the very basics of high and low in reading music. That contributes to what they can learn in seventh grade and what they can then learn by 12th grade. And it's this pipeline that's just getting more and more refined, both through communication, like what should all elementary music kids know by the time they graduate? Whereas before, and, and I'm just speaking literally in regards to like this one district, but I think it's overall as well. Like before, it's just you come into you come into elementary music, you play on a keyboard, you know, you go off and it's more exploration. But now, and, and this is, I think, what's happening in acapella, we're not only demanding more, the systems are getting more refined, the pipelines are getting like more streamlined. And that's just going to, I mean, you already said it, but that's just going to push the bar of what the very top is way, like just way farther. I'm excited for, because my, the high school that I feed, my kids feed into, they haven't had a feeder middle school program. So the director there has had to start from the very beginning every year, like here's how to read stuff. And he's excited like five years from now, because my kids will have just learned the basics by the time they get there. Oh, now we're like 30% better. We know how to read bass clef. We understand what C clef is by the time we're at this 
stage. And that kind of advancement, I think, is really exciting and is just going to continue to open doors and kind of push, not just push the genre forward, but push the stuff we already have to just a higher level of quality. That's also what's going to, you know, we talked about, you know, I don't know, five years ago, even 10 years ago, we talked about this acapella bubble and when it's going to burst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it hasn't. I mean, it, yeah. the, the hype around it has kind of calmed down to a more realistic level, but it's not like it's going away. By pushing us to be better musicians, it's pushing the genre forward. We're still seeing singing as a cultural achievement. We're, yep. we're, we're celebrating mm-hmm. singing. We're, we still have the voice and your X factors and your the masked singer and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I have no idea what the masked singer is. I've seen tweets about it. I, have no <laughs> I, idea I haven't it watched an yeah. episode yet. But just knowing that that's out there, Mm -hmm. it's not something where what we're seeing is a regression of the genre. 100%. And I think a lot of that has to do with how much better we're getting as musicians. Because it used to be that you could put 12 guys on stage that aren't so very good at singing and they're just entertaining. And that was an all-male collegiate acapella group. And that got by. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're seeing that, okay, everyone can do that. Like who can actually sing? Who can actually make some mm-hmm. something that we want to listen to? I think that when we when you're talking about, and I'm not saying that it's bad if you want to do that. There's a place for that. No, yeah. But if at the at the top levels of competitive acapella uh, recorded and performed, I really do believe that we're getting better singers because of the musicianship that's being built at the middle school at the elementary level. Because mm-hmm. we're no longer just it's not first grade music is no longer come in play with rhythm instruments learn your ta ta ti ti ta and like that's it <laughs> yeah. right? we're, we're starting to get into music as a second language or a third language mm-hmm. and because we're tapping into that at such a young level sorry I'm trying to stay away from all the psych stuff no but I, I, tot- I totally I buy I everything you're saying I totally yeah. agree so, so we're starting to get into learning music not as an extracurricular necessity but more of learning a different language we're tapping into that part of the brain that's so active and yearning for so much mm-hmm. knowledge at that age that by the time you know you get to high school but by the time you're getting into the abstract thinking you can start thinking about music in that way as well and yep. it's and it's making for better arrangements it's making for better instrumentation for those outside of acapella it's making mm-hmm. it's just making for better music and better musicians i 100 agree we're treating it now more than ever as a core subject rather than just like oh yeah there's that thing that we do every tuesday thursday with mm-hmm. miss blah 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 and that's a fun little diversion and and i i'm curious as to like i think the stuff i don't think acapella is necessarily responsible for a greater interest in music education overall but i think the things that we put out that and brian and i had this discussion i think two episodes ago about the things that frame acapella for the like uneducated masses stuff like pitch perfect stuff like Mm -hmm. glee and stuff like that create a greater cultural interest in singing overall and reframe singing i still think back to the first and i watched the show for a bit and i didn't i liked it for a little bit but the first trailer for glee which i think is just great where it frames like a guy singing in the shower and the whole trailer in first season is about reframing the notion of singing in a positive way in something that is culturally valuable and uh, this notion of natural talent which singing isn't just natural talent it's a lot of practice but it was the moment for me where everything was kind of like oh this is almost like some kind of like cultural capital. It's socially valuable mm-hmm. for me to go out and sing a solo in front of like the fraternity. They're the sororities at my at um, Greek Lane at my university and stuff like that. And I'm not saying like that's what because there's a lot of things that have been going on in music education for a while. But stuff like that only helps the people like, I don't know, 
the moms who watch Glee on a Tuesday night, like, hmm, I wish my kid did that. Yeah. And just like those little moments where, oh, it'd be cool if we had this. And with me, with my middle school job this year, there's just a ton of buy-in from parents. I'm not really having to convince. I was worried about angry parents and worry about all these things. And I just have lots of support saying, you know, I saw my kid. I want my kid to do this. Or, you know, there's all these people on YouTube who do these cool things. And I want my <laughs> daughter to do them. And it's this now, I don't want to say saturation, but a heightened understanding and appreciation for vocal music that is supporting. And I, I, I think acapella plays an important part in that with the specific things that kind of break through the noise, like Pitch Perfect and mm-hmm. Glee and everything. And I'm just kind of excited for how those cultural developments and our shared understanding of what is valuable is going to, like you said, continue to create better music. And I'm really excited to see like where it is 10 years from now, because again, like you said, there hasn't been that regression. I remember writing in grad school a couple years ago, like, is the acapella bubble going to pop? Like, I'm kind of like, what's going to happen? And like you said, the hype's died down. But the interest and the commitment from the general public in music education and and through that acapella is still there. And that's just freaking exciting. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we we see more of these days are music educators embracing contemporary acapella as a tool to further musicianship, not as a detractor, as we initially did. Yeah, that was a yes, I would say. 10 years ago when I was like in high school and doing that, it was definitely this thing people were conscious or cautiously approaching. And I just tried to teach. It didn't work out because my middle schools are still developing, but like a full acapella, like folk slash contemporary acapella piece. And it's a great way for them to learn harmony. It's mm-hmm. the it's a great way for them to learn how to hold their parts. And the kids in my class are asking, well, when can we sing a real bass line? And I was like, what do you mean by that? Like you're singing a bass line right here. They're like, no, where we go dum dum da and stuff like that. Because that is a hmm. because that's been shown to them to be a great learning tool because they understand that that that's a high level of musicianship and I think the you know just in my experiences in going to you know ACDA and going to OMEA and to going to classical choral conventions there is a much greater appreciation and acknowledgement of the high level musicianship and uh, leadership that acapella creates because a lot of there's a ton of acapella groups that are student led I learned most of what I know about how to run a rehearsal by being in an acapella group and I think the more that the classical choral community continues to embrace it and continues to let it influence it not only in terms of practice but also in terms of somehow I see I see more pieces now that are quote unquote classical pieces that have like acapella idioms in them. Mm. And that is super exciting to further see this cross pollination have like these very concrete, like this is what this has like brought and how that's going to continually affect the greater genre and the greater cultural vocal music. Yeah. For, I think the biggest thing that I've been going kind of full circle here, the biggest thing mm-hmm. that I've noticed with my church choir is yeah. they don't, all of them had an intrinsic motivation to sing that wasn't necessarily, it wasn't their priority. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that was closely paid attention to. It was just the, the hobby that you know, if you had time for, you had time for. Now, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a more active intrinsic motivation with younger mm-hmm. people, especially um, when I was, well, I guess, mostly looking at the the collegiate landscape right now. You have, it's less of wanting to be in a group because you're in the group. And, and it's so much more of wanting to be in the group because you want to make great music in that group. And the, that's what the group's known for. Mm-hmm. Um and that's really exciting because as long as we have groups doing that and, and, and 
whether it's not like I want to join the group because then I'll be popular or I want to join the group because then I get to go on a trip or something of of that nature. You get this intrinsic motivation of wanting to make better music um, and wanting to be Mm -hmm. a part of that. And I think that to me is the most exciting and the biggest difference between the older generation of of the people that I'm directing for the church choir and Mm -hmm. the younger generations such as your middle schoolers and the collegiate uh, singers of today. Absolutely. Can think of no better way to, I mean, you literally just brought it full circle. So let's put a button in that. Absolutely. The inspiring conversation, Matt. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break and then we're going to wrap it up and this episode of Tacapella. Hey, everybody. It's Aaron here from The Spotlight, the show that's always recorded face to face, always live and always a good time. We spend at least a half an hour every week with a group or artist. We hear their backstory, hear what they're up to these days and have some conversation while hearing them sing some live tunes. Get more in depth with your favorite groups and maybe some you haven't heard of on The Spotlight every Wednesday at 5 p.m. East and 8 p.m. West. And again on rebroadcast Sunday. It's all here on Akaville. And welcome back to Tacapella. We've had a fun episode today with returning guest Matt Caruso talking about Acapella Psych, talking about music education and the changing and evolving culture of vocal music in like the world. And it was a pretty inspiring stuff and it was really fun. If you're just joining us, be sure to check us out on iTunes and rewind and listen to that stuff because it was a really fun, fruitful discussion. Uh, Matt, as we do on every episode, we ask our guests their biggest piece of advice for the acapella community. So as always, we pose the question to you. You could talk to the whole acapella community and give a piece of advice to either everyone, to one part of it, to a specific group, a specific person. What would that be? I think the biggest thing to take away from such a fruitful community and such a supportive community overall is to take as much in as possible, whether that's taking in advice, criticism, support, whatever it happens to be, take it all in. Accept the feedback that's being given to you, whether it's on an individual singer level, whether it's on a group level, a director level, whatever it happens to be, because it's all valuable in some way. It's all valuable from, it could be valuable even in the sense of, hey, you should do this. And as a group, you you say to yourselves, that's not who we want to be. So let's not do that. That's Mm-hmm. just taking that feedback in the first place and considering it, talking about it has made you think about yeah. it. So just being open-minded to everything that's being communicated to you. Of course, you'll have to sift through some of the, through some of the noise, mm-hmm. but there's great, there's great advice out there from the most unsuspecting sources. And there's some terrible advice out there <laughs> from the most reputable. And, but either way, once you, take it in, you talk about it with your group or, or you think about it amongst within yourself, it's valuable. And and just uh, especially to keep the genre uh, moving forward and to keep the genre growing and just to keep it to maintain its validity within the greater yeah. uh, musical landscape. Um, we can't just rely on on pentatonics yeah. <laughs> and straight note chaser to, you know, kind of carry the load for us. You know, we there is the, we there is a definite subculture of, of acapella and to keep it supportive and to keep it lines of open communication. I think that's the biggest piece of advice I can give anyone out there, whether you're trying to be a producer, a singer, an arranger, whatever it happens to be, take all the feedback poss- you can possibly take and then make of it what you will but don't close out and don't shut out anything just right off the bat i think very well said 100 percent. as an educator i like fully support that kind of like constructive (laughs) 
analysis, self-reflection, taking it all in. Matt, if people want to get a hold of you, see what Acapella Sykes about, uh, like enlist your services, how could they do that? Well, you can find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter. We're just at Acapella Psych, A-C-A-P-P-E-L-L-A-P-S-Y-C-H. Um, you can find us at acapellapsych.com. You could just find me at a festival. <laughs> There's lots of different ways of, of, of getting a hold of us. Uh, we're also on Instagram. That's kind of new for us recently. There's some great stuff that we just released. If I can plug for one of my groups that just mm-hmm. released one of their newest things, the Marquette Naturals, they just released their EP, Take Note. One of my favorite uh, songs I think I've, I've ever mixed is on there. I think it's track number one. It's called Note to Heaven. It's a kind of a mashup of uh, Note to Self, Heaven, and Heaven Only Knows. It kind of has a gospel feel to it, but there's some rapping in. Oh, there's, you know, it, it sounds really cheesy, but at the same time, I, I like the way it was arranged. It was really fun fun to mix, really fun to record. But you can find us just on all the, the social media platforms, on the website, send me a carrier pigeon, smoke signal, <laughs> whatever it happens to be. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for coming on today and just having a great discussion about the world of acapella uh, part two after way back when so thank you again this was this was yeah. great to have thank you, you on. for having yeah, me just super fun everyone if you want to get a hold of me you can find me on twitter and instagram at john lampus just google tacapella you'll find us on our website tacapella.org on twitter at tacapella check out brian at the brian alex on twitter he will be back next week uh and then be sure to follow everything we're doing at acaville radio a-c-a-v-i-l-l-e-r-a-d-i-o on twitter instagram facebook matt thank you again for coming on and for everyone listening for everything acapella Please stay tuned.